you can be finding in your Bible, 2 Peter chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1. I tell you, the pastor has fed us this week. We've tried to behave over the past couple of years and lose some weight, but boy, he certainly has messed all that up. Amen. But we appreciate everything. Just been a joy to be here every night and uh, appreciate this church. I've mentioned every night and I do so on purpose because you've been such a blessing to us over the years. Uh, We can never thank you. We are aware and we don't take it lightly that we could not do what we do. We could not be where we are. And if it were not for people like you. This brother over here from Valley View. Valley View has supported us for over 10 years and been faithful in their support. I was there before we went to the reservation a couple of times when Brother Justin was over there. But you folks have been a blessing too at Valley View. And so many others, we are so thankful uh, for all of you and you folks here. It's good to have our oldest grandson with us tonight, his wife, Mary Ruth, and our two great-granddaughters, and uh, Hattie and Harper. And Harper, this first time I got to see her was this afternoon. Sherry had seen her before. But uh, I grew up in a family of four boys. I was the oldest of four boys. So when Sherry and I got married, we wanted a girl. She was the baby of three girls. I was the oldest of four boys, but I wanted a girl when we got married. And and uh, our son, Tim, came along. And then we thought, well, second one will be a girl. And Terry came along. And we thought, one more try, and we'll maybe get a girl this time. And Tracy came along. So we had three boys, Tim, Terry, and Tracy. And the T's and all that kind of stuff kind of hung in the family for a while. And then Tyler came along, and then Tanner came along, and then Tucker came along, and then Trevor came along. So we had Tim, Terry, Tracy, Tyler, Tanner, Tucker, and Trevor, all boys. I said one day, if we ever got a girl, there wasn't but one name we could give her, and that would be thanks, but amen. (laughs) But we've been on a roll the the last four have been girls. They really have. Uh, Gracie came along, Riley came along, and so we've got a string of girls going here, and we don't get to see them often, but we cherish the times when we do. Appreciate Tyler driving up. He's pastor of Delashment Road Baptist Church in Chattanooga, and uh, we're proud of him and thank God for him. But it's been such a joy to be with you. It's been encouraging to be here every night, Sunday, last night. And uh, just the good spirit in the services and uh, just the good crowd that's been here every night. And uh, the music. I, I enjoy the old hymns. I really do. Uh, it seems like we're getting away from them and the old hymns we are losing. And uh, I grew up on the hymns you're singing here tonight. It's refreshing to hear them. We use them among the Indians and we sing the old hymns with the Indians, and that's what they like. And but it seems like every every it seems like everywhere you go, they're just changing, getting away. It's just like we've got to change, and that if anybody 
stays that way. They look at us like we're unenlightened or whatever there. That kind of thing got that uh, look. I've noticed one thing about this contemporary crowd. They have an ego that's a mile long. They think they've got a hold of something. The rest of us, and they look at us like, bless their little old hearts. Uh, they, they don't have a clue, and uh, they just don't have a clue themselves. Can we get an amen there? So it's, it's good to be here, and I hope you never change. I thank God. Love your pastor, his family. Uh, the kids have got to know them. I asked uh, Schofield the other, I think it's Sunday night, I said, have you got a girlfriend? Now, he said, no. And there's a little girl standing there beside us. I believe her name was Clara. I don't know who she belongs to. And she said, well, I've got a boyfriend. And I said, you do? She said, i got a bunch of them. i got nine boyfriends. I said, well, she's doing pretty good. Amen. But if she gets older, she'll thin that number down real fast. I promise you that. But it's, thank you so much for being here. I want you to turn to Second Peter 1, and there is one verse and a statement in that verse that I want to be my focus tonight. But let's begin reading in verse 4. Many of you stand in honor of the reading of his word. You are welcome to do that. Second Peter chapter 2, or Second Peter chapter 1, and verse 4. He said, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. We talked about his promises last night. The children of Israel, they learned that they could trust every word that God had given them. And his promises, they are indeed great and they are precious. But he says that by these, by his promises, that you might be partakers of the divine nature it seems like many believe that there's always something that you add to your life like it's some kind of heavenly stp some kind of additive that you need in your life but i want to assure you tonight you already have what you need it's just a matter of discovering what you have but that you might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And besides this, he said, giving all diligence, add, and not contradicting what I just said, when he talked about adding here, he's talking about the growth in our life as a believer, the development of our life, that as we grow, he said, you add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. And to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. Then he said in verse 8, for if these things be in you, all the things that he's mentioned, that if you are growing in your life and you're growing in these particular areas, he tells us in verse 8, for these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our life is to abound and be fruitful. Then there's got to be a growing. We're always learning and always growing. But verse 9, but, there's that conjunction there, the contrast 
but he that lacketh these things. That word lacketh has the ideal of a deficiency. That if you are not growing and you're not adding these things in your life, then there is not a fruitful life, but there is a deficient life. And he said that he that lacketh these things that has this deficiency, every, every sickness has symptoms. And he describes these symptoms. He that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. And notice his statement. And hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. I want you to note that statement there. He hath or and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Thank you. May be seated. Peter is talking about the matter of never getting over the fact that you are saved, that God has saved you. What he did in saving you, you should never lose the wonder of what he has done. Let's pray. Our Father, in Jesus' name, it's been so refreshing to be in your house this week, even tonight. And I want to thank you, Lord, that my name is in the book of life. And once it bore a sinful record, but now because of what you have done for us, my name now has a title clear, and my name is in the Lamb's book of life. Unworthily so, but yet I am so thankful tonight that it is. I ask you now that for a few moments that you would Lord, speak to our hearts. Let us be attentive to your word, not necessarily to me, but to your word, that we might hear what you are saying, that we might learn from what you are saying in your word, and that what we learn will impact our lives, not only for this service, but for time and all of eternity. Thank you for saving us. May we never get over it. In Jesus' name, and for his sake, we ask these things. Amen. If I were to ask some people, what was the greatest thing that ever happened in your life? Some people might speak about a job promotion. It was a job promotion I'd been wanting for years, and I finally got it. It's the greatest day of my life. Someone else might say that it was a day they received a special honor or a special recognition. And you could go on and on. You'd get various answers if you asked many people, what was the greatest day of your life? I don't know what you might consider the greatest day of your life, but as for me, the greatest day of my life by far was that Sunday morning in 1972 when God saved me by His grace. As a songwriter said, years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified, knowing not it was for me he died on Calvary. But one Sunday by God's word at last my sin I learned, and then I trembled at the law I had spurned, till my guilty soul imploring turned, 
to Calvary. And there I found that mercy was great and grace was free and pardon was there multiplied to me. And there my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. That day was a miraculous day. That day was a marvelous day. That day was a momentous day. It was by far the red letter day of my life, the greatest day of my life, the day that I got saved. Someone asked Gypsy Smith, the great English evangelist one time, why is it that God has used you like he has over the years? And without hesitation, he replied, I never lost the wonder of it all. I don't know about you, but I don't want to lose that wonder. I don't want to get so caught up in life and become so busy, even in serving my God, that I forget what he has done and I lose the wonder of it all. You see, if you lose the wonder of what he's done for you, it's a spiritual tragedy. There's a thrill that is lost there, but never, ever lose that wonder. And that's what the writer here, Peter, is talking about. He actually describes three tragic spiritual conditions. He talks about someone that is blind. And when he talks about being blind, he's talking about a blindness that affects one's spiritual apprehension. They're blind. They're saved. But yet they do not comprehend. They do not apprehend. They do not see the things of God as they ought to see them. Then he speaks about how they cannot see afar off. They're not only blind, but they're nearsighted. And when he uses this word here, they cannot see afar off. He's talking about someone whose eyes are only locked upon themselves. They do not see beyond themselves. Everything is about themselves. So it not only affects their spiritual apprehension, but it affects their spiritual affection. Again, they love only themselves. They cannot see things further than themselves. But then he makes a statement that they also have forgotten that he was from his old sin. And that deals with one's spiritual appreciation. It's the matter of forgetting that they have been purged from their old sins. It's a case simply of someone getting over being saved and having lost the wonder of it all. Understanding that, let's look at the statement a little closer. For one thing, when I look at Peter's words here, I am mindful of a past forgiveness that he talks about. A past forgiveness. You notice in the statement that he speaks of a time in the past when one was purged from their old sins. Now, in those words, we are reminded of what used to be and then what has happened in our life. Look a little closer. He talks about the past conduct of our life. He talks about our old sins. And when he uses that phrase, our old sins, he's talking about things that we did before we got saved. He's talking about the conduct of our old life. How we used to live as a sinner. How we used to live in the life that we lived before God saved us. 
Paul talked about in Ephesians 2, that in time past, we walked according to the course of this world. And when he used that phrase, the course of the world, literally, he was describing the age in which we live. We live like everybody, we live like everybody else. The world and the age in which we live fashioned us and shaped our thinking. It shaped our behavior. It shaped our lives. I grew up in the 70s as a teenager. And I can remember as a teenager how styles. And of course today, I mean, I see parents paying $100 for a pair of jeans that we used to throw away. We'd never wear anything like they're paying $100 for. We'd patch them up. Everybody at school had patches on their knees. But I remember the 70s, and that was the hippie movement and all that. And some of you may remember these days. You remember those bell-bottom bridges? Do you remember those? How in the world, we surely blinded by the God of this world, that we wore such pants like that. And uh, stop, But it was the style. And so we wore, we dressed, we acted like the age in which we live. And what he's describing here is that we were not only walking according to the prince of the power there, but the age in which we live so molded our life and shaped our life. It's how we used to be. It's how we used to live. We were products of our culture. We had no room for God, and we had no thoughts about God. And tragically, the course of this world often took us down paths that were marked, as he talked about, as children of disobedience. We took us down paths that were designed to fulfill the lust of the flesh. And for some people, the path was steeper and it was deeper. And the Bible says we're all dead in trespasses and sin. But it was more evident in some of our lives than in others. It's like someone said, we're all dead. It's just the difference of the state of decay. For some of us, the state of decay was far advanced than some other people. But our old sins, what we used to be before we got saved, how we used to live before we got saved. you remember that? I think sometimes many of us have been saved so long that we forget what we used to be. We forget the ungodly lives that we used to live. Our old sins, our past conduct of life. But he describes not only our past conduct of life, but he describes our past change in life. For you notice what he says. He not only talks about our old sins, the life that we used to live, but thank God he says we have been purged from our old sins. And what he's saying is something has happened in our life. This is what we used to be. This is how we used to think. This is how we used to live. But something happened in our life that totally changed the direction of our life and totally altered our life. Our old sins were purged. Talks about purging. The word simply means to be washed. Or as we'd say in North Carolina, washed. You gotta put an R in it. 
and washed from our sins or cleansed from our sins. Thank God for everyone I was in this room tonight. There was a day when by the grace of God and through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, we were cleansed of our old sins. The Bible said we're a new creature in Christ Jesus. You ask me while I'm happy, then I'll just tell you why. It's because my sins are gone. There was that Sunday morning in 1972 when God, by His grace, saved me. And when He did, my old sins were purged and they were washed away. Lindsey Glegg, in one of his books, he tells a story of how when he was a student, he had a headmaster that had great impact on his life and many of the students. He tells about how on a New Year's Eve, all the students had a big party and they built a big old bonfire on the playground. And all the students had gathered around that playground. The headmaster walked out and in his hand was a book that every student recognized. It was the detention book. And in that name, in that book with the names of every student, that had failed to do their work or they had misbehaved over the year. And when those boys saw that book, every one of them groaned. And when he walked up, he opened that book and he said, Now, boys, here is the record of your past misdeeds. Every wrongdoing in the past year has been written down in ink in this book. Not a boy moved. Not a boy said a word. Not a single student took their eyes off of the headmaster because they knew what was in that book. But then he said to them, he said, this is the last day of the year and we're going to start a new year fresh. And everything in the past is going to be blotted out and forgotten. And he took that book and hurled it over into the fire. Every student started cheering some even through their caps into the fire. Well, thank God there was a day when God took the old record of my past. He had recorded every sin that I had ever committed. Every deed that was wicked, every evil thought had been recorded. But on that Sunday morning in 1972, he purged me of every one of them. And the record was expunged and the record was clean. Again, oh, happy day. Oh, happy day when Jesus washed our sins away. There is a past forgiveness. But look further. He not only talks about a past forgiveness, something that has happened in our past, but he also talks about something that is happening in the present. There's a past forgiveness, but he goes on to talk about a present forgetfulness. He said there's all sins have been purged, but notice how he says it. This particular person hath forgotten that they were purged from their old sins. Now, I'm not going to argue about forgetfulness. I listen, the older we get, you know, some of you know what I'm talking about. I heard about a couple by the name of Bob and Emily. They were getting up in years. Both of them, they couldn't remember anything. 
I mean, they'd, they'd go, go walk to a room and get in the room and stand there and think, now, what did I come in this room for? They both getting worse and worse and worse. So they decide, they realize it, and they finally said, let's go to the doctor and, and uh, see what he says. And he examined them both and realized they both were very forgetful. So he simply said, I'll tell you what you do. He said, get you a little notepad, and whenever you're going to do something, write it down. And that way, when you go or do something and you forget what you're going to do, just look at your notepad, and it will remind you of what you were doing or what you need to do. They were sitting one night watching TV, and uh, old Bob, he spoke up. He said, you know, Emily, I'd like to have a bowl of ice cream. And she said, well, I'll get you one. And he got up. He said, you better write it down in your book. She said, I don't need to write that down. You want a bowl of ice cream? I'll get you a bowl of ice cream. He said, and she walked to the door and said, what kind do you want? He said, chocolate. Put some chocolate syrup on it. But write it down so you won't forget it. She said, I won't forget it. I'll remember chocolate ice cream with chocolate syrup on it. She was gone for the longest. She came back in a little while. She had a tray. She had eggs and toast and bacon. And she brought it over and set it down in Bob's lap. And he looked at it and looked up at her. And she could tell that something was wrong. She said, what did I forget? He said, I told you to write it down. You forgot to put jelly on my toast. Amen. Well, that's... I'm understanding that more and more and more. It's easy to forget things. But in the case of Peter here, when he's talking about, it's not a matter that one can't remember that they have been, that their old sins have been purged. It's simply a case where it's not that they have forgotten it as a fact. It is no longer a force in their life. It's like it's no longer something that affects them. For example, when he said they have forgotten, what he's speaking of is that their salvation no longer moves them. That they're no longer moved by the fact that they have been saved. I've always loved reading about Billy Bray. He was a Cornish coal miner, worked in those coal mines, and he got saved. And, and most English were uh, very formal, whatever, but Billy Bray was unique to his time. He was unique to his own country. Billy Bray, when he got saved, uh, I mean, his life was so changed. A foul-mouthed sinner. God saved him, and God called him to preach, and preached all over the Cornwall area in southwest England. All those coal miners and, and, but he, Billy Bray was the kind of person, the best way I know how to describe it, when he got saved, he never got over being saved. I mean, he named one foot glory and the other foot hallelujah. He said, no matter where I'm going, I want my feet to be saying glory, hallelujah, glory, hallelujah. He said one time, they said I was a mad man, but they meant that I was a glad man. Glory be to God. And he said, I've been glad ever since. He one time said, he makes me glad and nobody can make me sad. He makes me shout and nobody can make me doubt. 
On another occasion, he said, some can only eat out of the silent dish, but I can only eat out of the shouting dish and the jumping dish. He said, I was born in the fire and I cannot live in the smoke. Everywhere he went, he's just praising God for what God had done for him. I've seen so many. I've been in this thing for so many years. How we lose the wonder. To where we think about what God has done. We can sing about His grace. And it don't even move us. We can sing about the cross. And we don't even blink an eye. I know we're Baptists. Someone said, well, I'm not very emotional. I know better than that. I've passed her over the years and watched people sit on a church pew. Every once in a while, they'd blink at you like an owl in a tree. That's the only only evidence that you had that they had not died on you in the service. You want to pass out Murel once in a while. You knew their eyes were dry. And but every once in a while they blink at never move, never say a word. And they say, Oh, I'm not that kind of person. I, I, I don't get all that excited. But then I've come up here to the England Stadium going to a ball game with them. And Tennessee's scored a touchdown. That's back when they scored touchdowns, but they scored a touchdown. And I've seen that person that would not move in a service, jump up and down, grab a perfect stranger, and twirl around between the seats, and then they say, I'm not emotional. Oh, I know how it is. You'll watch as the world turns and just cry. You're worried about this and worried about that. But that's drama. But then you'll come to church And we can talk about being saved. We can talk about the grace of God. We can sing about the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we never are moved by it. It doesn't affect us. Something has happened. We have lost the wonder of what God did for us. Salvation no longer moves us. Now, I'm not saying you have to run the aisles. That's not what I mean. I'm not saying that you have to jump a pew or throw songbooks across the building. That's not what I'm talking about. But I am saying that when you are stirred about what God has done for you, in fact, it ought to be that every time you hear about the grace of God in the blood of the Lord Jesus, your heart ought to jump on the inside that God has forgiven you of your old sins. But he said they have forgotten it. That is, they're no longer moved by what God has done for them. But not only that, they're no longer, their salvation no longer moves them, but it no longer motivates them. Again, as I said, it's no longer a force in their life. It's no longer driving them. It's no longer the very thing that puts passion into their life. That God has saved you is the one thing that no longer does it affect you or motivate you. People say all the time, how do you get people to work for God? Pastors say, how do you get people in your church to work for God? And the answer is very simple. Let them fall in love with Christ. And when they fall in love with Christ and they are thrilled about their salvation, they'll serve God. I mentioned Uncle Buddy Robertson the other night. He, again, I wouldn't agree with all of his theology, but he just had a unique way of putting things. He told about one time him and his brother, they were plowing the field. And he'd hooked up the old mule. And Uncle Buddy, he said, I went out there, I g'd, I hauled, I kicked, 
I slapped, I pinched. He said, I even bit that old mule's ear to try to get it to move, and it just wouldn't move. He said, I tried everything to get that mule to plow, but he said it just stood there. A little while, he said, my brother came down and said, buddy, you're supposed to be plowing. Won't you get started plowing? You should have already been plowing. He said, I can't get this mule to move. And his brother said, uh, hold on a minute, I'll be right back. Uncle Buddy said he ran up to the house and he come back and he had a whole wad of newspaper in his arm. He took that newspaper. He said, Uncle Buddy said, what are you going to do with that? He said, he said, watch me. He had that newspaper all rolled up and he put it underneath the belly of that mule and set it on fire. Uncle Buddy said, that mule hadn't stopped plowing yet, amen. Well, if you get a fire in your heart, you get a fire that God has saved you. Think about it. Everyone I was in this service tonight could have been in hell or at least on our way to hell. But somewhere, God in His grace saved us undeserving so. We've got every reason to be moved and stirred about what He's done. And it ought to motivate us to do something for God. You lose the wonder, you get cold. And you get over what he did for you, become indifferent. And you'll be in and out of church. You'll be in and out, on and off, up and down, hot and cold. But if there is a fire that is burning in your heart, and you're still stirred about that glorious day when he saved you, it'll move you. It will motivate you. So he talks about that in the past. Our old sins that have been purged. He talks about a present condition. They have forgotten that they were purged from their old sins. But the implication of all that he's saying about the past and present is to involve something that is perpetual. There's a past forgiveness. There is a present forgetfulness. But there is to be a perpetual fascination that we are to be just in awe that God has saved us, that God has made us his child, that our name is in the Lamb's book of life. I mean, we ought to just jump up and down to think that God is our heavenly father and that we are his children. A fascination with what he's done that we never lose. How do you keep that fascination? For one thing, never forget the day you got saved. Anybody that's sat under me over the years can tell you the day I got saved. April the 2nd, 1972. One of the young preacher boys we had years ago, he called me one night. He said, you'll never believe what I did today. He got up and he got in a big way preaching. And he said, God saved me on April 2nd, 1972. He said, oh, well, that's, that's when Brother Ken got saved. That's not. But he had heard me say it so much that it was in his mind and in his heart. Never forget that day. Let your mind go down memory lane every once in a while. Let like mine, I drift back to that old Boone gospel tabernacle in the mountains of Boone, North Carolina. An old building that had wood shavings on the floor, had four old potbelly stoves that they heated the building with in the winter time. The new church had got started 
It had been built by a Presbyterian preacher by the name of Dan Graham out of Bristol, Tennessee. Dan, some of you in the past may remember, preached all over these mountains of East Tennessee and Western North Carolina. Greatly used of God back in those early days. And he had built a building to come and have meetings. And when he was done, he left it to a group that would rent it out when churches needed. And we were meeting in that building. Old wood slabs on the pews. Uh, you'd wiggle around. All, I mean, we had splinters every Sunday when we went home. And uh, had wood shavings in our shoes. But I remember that Sunday morning sitting behind that building. Or that old potbelly stove. That Sunday morning, something happened in my life. I realized something. As a 16-year-old boy, I saw myself lost. And I knew I was going to hell. And when the preacher gave the invitation, they didn't have to plead with me. Nobody had to come and take me by the hand. I jumped up and ran down and fell on my knees in the altar. Preacher said, what can I pray with you about? I said, I'm not saved. I know I can't be saved. And that Sunday morning, God saved me by His marvelous grace. I find myself remembering that day and thinking about that day quite often. Don't ever forget it. You may not remember the date, and that's not important. You may not remember the month. You may not remember the year. That doesn't matter. But if you ever got saved, you know where it happened. And you go back and remember. Maybe you sat down front of your mom one night. And she took her Bible and said, honey, let me tell you what to do. And that mother led you to the Lord Jesus. Or maybe you walked down an aisle in a church like this. Or it might have been a soul winner that came to your home one night. But don't ever forget the day you got saved. And never forget the way you got saved. Never forget that you didn't deserve any of it. Preacher up in North Carolina by Brother Worley used to always say everyone of us ought to be in the middle of hell with our back broke. And that's about the truth. Never forget, you didn't deserve it. You, at your very best, at your absolute best, you still deserve to go to hell. Always and never forget, it's not because you deserve to be saved. But God in His grace saved you by His grace. Don't ever forget that. Like Job said, what is man that thou shouldest magnify him? What is man that thou shouldest set your heart upon him? The old song, why did he go to Calvary? Why was his lifeblood shed for me? Why did he suffer as no one had ever done? There's just one reason. I am the one. Our story is a story of grace. The only reason we're saved tonight is because God in his love for sinners and the grace and the mercy that he showed to us in Christ Jesus, that is the only reason any of us tonight are saved by his grace. Uh, None of us can get up. And brag on ourselves, ego, throw it out the door. We ain't got anything to be proud about. Well, we, some of us, some folks, I mean, they want all the attention. Uh, They've lost the wonder of it all. People get upset about this and they're bothered about this. They just lost the wonder of it all. Remember years ago when I was a young pastor, I used to drive down to Charlotte, North Carolina, 
they'd go by and see Dr. Jack Hudson. And I'd sit down and ask him things and talk to him. He was at Northside Baptist Church in Charlotte at the time. His motto in life was make much of Jesus. And he will make much of you. But I'll never forget one day he told me, gave me an illustration about a wagon wheel. He said the rim is the church. And the spokes are the members. And the hub is Christ. We're talking about something. I don't remember what it was, but he said, have you ever noticed that the spokes, the closer they get to, to the hub, the closer they get to each other? He said, if you get people and you get them to Jesus, they'll get closer and closer and closer. Churches fight and split because they're wide apart. But you get them close to Jesus, they forget all this nitpicking stuff. And they just fall in love with Jesus and they just want to love him. Never forget the day you got saved. And never forget the way you got saved. I don't want to get over it, do you? I don't want to lose the wonder of it all. Whether in church or on my knees at Lonely Home, I want to be able to look up to God in my heart burning and say, thank you, Lord, for that day when you saved me by your grace. He hath forgotten that he was purged of his old sins. Let that not be the case of any of us tonight. Let's stand our feet, please. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. I, my interest is not just to get you to come to an altar. I'm not going to keep any kind of records and go back and say that 47 came to the altar and I am not, I don't, not interested in that. But I am interested in all of us just being head over and heels in love with Jesus and moved for what God has done in our life. When's the last time you got on your knees and just said, God, I want to thank you for saving me. I want to thank you that you didn't let me go to hell. Thank you, Lord, that the Spirit of God in my darkness and foolish ways, you came and you found me and you drew me. You brought me to the Lord Jesus to the foot of the cross. When was the last time you just got on your knees and thanked him? That your old sins have been purged. And say, dear God, thank you for saving me. Thank you, God, for writing my name in the Lamb's book of life. When's the last time you did that? I'm going to ask you tonight, why don't you just come? Just find you a place and just don't ask him for anything. Just thank him for what he's done. Tell him how much you love him. Tell him how grateful you are that he saved you and that he's your savior, that your name is in the Lamb's book of life. Just tell him. Our Father tonight in Jesus' name, don't let us forget that we've been purged from our old sins. Don't ever let us lose the wonder of our salvation that you have saved us. Lord, may we never get over that. May we never cease to be amazed that God would love us and save us. Help us, Lord, tonight. Warm our hearts to you and deepen our appreciation for the grace of God and your salvation. 
Bless these dear folk tonight. Work in our hearts. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.